Hey, you guys, it's Sharpie. I'm the guest from episode number 20. I like to travel to the edge of the known universe and peer over the edge to see what's out there. It's sort of like digging below the surface, tapping into the electromagnetic network of fungi and tree roots to try and figure out what they're talking about. Spread the word to anyone who you think may be interested in expanding their horizon and growing their universe. Thanks, guys. Tune in soon. Welcome back to ATBS, the podcast, all things big and small. I'm your host, Jeff Volmerick, and as always, I appreciate you listening. Today, Richard Hamilton rejoins me for further conversation under the subject header of epigenetics. Today, we're going to dive more deeply into movement, exercise, and how those actions influence our epigenome. I enjoyed the conversation. I'm always further enlightened when I talk to Richard. Hope you are too. Enjoy. Richard, welcome back to ATBS, the podcast. Well, good morning to you, Jeffrey. Thank you. We're recording now on March 10th of 2020. I think the full moon passed last night in certain parts of the country. We've, have we gone from daylight savings time to daylight standard time or the other way around? Do you know that? Other way around. We are in daylight savings time now. I believe so. Longer evenings feel pretty nice. Uh, being in the Northern hemisphere where the winter has been long, it, it feels pretty good to have Longer evenings, I can tell you that. Longer daylight evenings. And we have a Friday the 13th coming up. And we have a Friday the 13th. And today, my uh, Mercury go- leaves retrograde after three weeks. <laughs> we, have a lo- we have a lot going on. We have a lot. <laughs> I've got a lot to deal with. There's a lot to deal <laughs> Thank you. Uh, this is the third in a series of what I think will be five episodes the first and more lengthy deep dive into epigenetics with my good friend, Richard Hamilton. And then there are four that are going to follow that up. And one is the epigenetics of food and nutrition. One is the epigenetics of movement and exercise. One is the epigenetics of mindfulness or meditation. And then one is going to be uh, the same on sleep and circadian rhythms. And so today we're going to dive into the epigenetics of exercise and movement. And so what does that mean to the average person or the above average or just that person out there who is learning about epigenetics or somebody who even knows about epigenetics? What does that mean? Let's let's do a quick little review and then take it into movement and exercise, please, Richard. Sure. Yeah, happy to. So Just a quick refresher, you know, epigenetics, part of this is kind of how we manage our own biological hard drive. And we have these very long DNA molecules in every cell of our body. We call them chromosomes. And they need to be wound up. They need to be coiled up and organized in order to fit them into the nucleus of the cell. And then they get 
selectively unwound and then wound back up in order to access the genes that lie along those chromosomes. And what we find is that, you know, our ability to operate that hard drive, this winding and unwinding of DNA is impacted by nutrition, by exercise, by mental stress, by environmental toxins. And as we age, it slowly breaks down. And it's one of the hallmarks of aging, at least at the, at the DNA level. So let's talk about how exercise and movement, uh, you know, influence us, you know, at the DNA level. Before we do that, perhaps it's useful to talk about, you know, some of the, what I'll call more, you know, macro or physiological benefits of exercise, because there, there are many of them. I guess the most obvious is that, you know, exercise provides you with cardiovascular fitness. It's, it's, as we review, um, was it Zombieland? Have you ever seen the movie Zombieland, Jeff? I have not. Kind of a spoof on zombie movies. But one of his rules is cardio, because you got to outrun to be able to outrun the zombies. So that's one of, his, <laughs> one of his old rules. Always work on your cardio. So cardiovascular benefits, I think the number is around 650,000 Americans die every year of heart disease. And so taking care of your heart, you know, exercise clearly has that benefit. Osteoporosis, especially in women. Older women suffer from osteoporosis, vitamin D deficiencies, and lifting weights, even modest weights, can help uh, offset that. And when we look at the health benefits of that, the average hip fracture uh, for a, a woman over 65 has some, carries something like a 40% mortality rate. Wow. Because they, yeah, they form blood clots and then pulmonary embolism and often then have strokes. So, again, you know, we can think of a lot of benefits of exercise before we get to epigenetics. And then the last one I'll just mention is in men, you know, lifting weights, especially heavy weights, you know, as you get older, has been shown to slow the decline of testosterone levels, which, again, has many benefits for men in terms of muscular strength, sex drive, all kinds of things. So, exercise is a good thing. Also feels good. Feels good after. It doesn't always feel good during, but it sure does feel good. Makes you feel good afterwards. Well, as, as somebody uh, on this phone call once reminded me, sweaty equals ready. <laughs> and I find that to be more and more true as I get older, that, you know, how you feel warming up is not necessarily how you're going to feel when you get things going, when you get the engine warmed up a little bit. And I've noticed that pretty dramatically, I'd say over the last five years or so, that, you know, you don't just hop on the mountain bike and start pounding it uphill. Yeah, lubricate the joints, get the system moving, get the sledge going. It's like starting your car in a cold morning, right? That's what I've been thinking of over these many years that, you know, you wouldn't want to start your car at 20 below zero and expect that all those fluids are, are working, you know, and doing what they should be doing, you know, without a little warm up. Exactly right. Exactly right. And so as we think about the benefits of exercise, you know, down to the, to the DNA level. There's a few things that we know, a few things that we can hypothesize, and then a bunch of things, you know, still to be discovered. We do know that people who partake in regular exercise show lower aging at the epigenetic level. Okay, let's just say that again. People who exercise regularly are aging more slowly than people who do not, as measured by this 
epigenetic clock. And just to review, the epigenetic clock is a function of how well do you really manage this hard drive? How well are you winding or unwinding DNA? And, and you know, I can dive down into the weeds of exactly how we measure that, but that's a pretty well-established biological fact at this point. May I jump in here for a second, Richard, that we've touched on it before, and I'm not a huge fan of, you know, endless advertisements and podcasts, but you know, Richard Hamilton is the founder and chief executive officer of Prosper. You can find them at liveprosperstrong.com. And, you know, they're providing epigenetic testing and lifestyle recommendations. So, you know, here we are. And for the listeners, you get the benefit of, you know, Dr. Richard Hamilton, molecular biologist, sharing his knowledge and how it relates to us as, you know, how do we run our machines? Yeah, there's going to be an opportunity for people who are listening. If you're interested in it, how am I aging? How's my epigenetic clock? Where am I on that clock? You're going to be able to find that out by visiting liveprosperstrong.com. So sorry to interrupt, but seemed like the right time to do that. When you do go to Live Prosper Strong, be sure to enter ATBS, all things big and small, ATBS into the coupon code to, to get your discount. So not to get too far off track, but I'll come back into the epigenetics of exercise with one of my other favorite sayings, which is, you know, feeling good feels really good. We need some context in our life, right? Because we don't always feel good. Sometimes we get sick or we catch a bug or we get banged up or we have an injury or what have you. And that, although it sucks, it gives us some context so that when we do feel good, we're like, oh, wow, you wake up in the morning, you're like, I feel really freaking good. And then you go exercise at some point during the day, or you do some meditation or you eat a good meal. Wow. Feeling good feels really good. So for me, that's the goal, right? How I get there, there are a lot of different ways. And I put a lot of different things into play to get there. Exercise and movement are, is one of them. So back to that. Well, yeah, I think feeling good is one of those other from macro or physiological level benefits of exercise. We, we know that exercise stimulates the production of endorphins and other molecules in your brain that make you feel good, especially when sometimes when, when at, either at the peak of exercise or when exercise is over. Rarely when it's beginning as we were, as we were. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Just getting it started. If, if your car had a feeling, if cars had feelings, the ability to feel the way we would do, they would probably feel like shit when you started them yep. until that temperature gauge gets up to 160 or 220 or whatever that number is where things are smoothly running along. You know, they'd probably feel the same way. I think that's maybe a piece of advice that we need to come up with a little saying for people who are really just starting an exercise regimen, you know, perhaps people who have never really, you know, exercised regularly in their lives and that don't judge it by the first 10 minutes. And perhaps, you know, the corollary to that is, you know, don't judge it by the first two weeks. Right. For whatever reason, if you're recuperating from an injury and then you get back into your exercise regimen, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> it doesn't no. feel good at all. And that's a sharp contrast to how it feels, you know, once you're in shit, because then it's quite enjoyable. Yeah. Hitting your stride, right? Like I'm not a big runner. I've never been built to run. Um, my good friend Richard here and I are on the large side of the human scale. 
Richard is considerably north of six feet tall, so the levers are long, and I'm somewhat taller than six feet, and not necessarily runners' bodies, but there are other ways, whether it be a spin bike or a rowing machine or, or getting a good walk on the treadmill or outdoors to get that motor running. And I'll go back to what you said about injury. You know, how many times have you and I have talked about get dinged up, something's not right. I've just come through a, I don't know, kind of eight, I guess the last two weeks I've been feeling really good, but I have a propensity to slip my sacroiliac joint, right? Between the sacrum and the ilium. It can be anywhere from mildly uncomfortable to I'm down and out for three days. And then it takes about six weeks for it to get better. And you know how I did it this last time? I was getting in a friend's car into the passenger seat. You know, I get in and out of the driver's seat of my car all the time. I don't ride in other people's cars very often. And I was getting into their car, moving in the opposite direction that I normally do when I twist into the car. And, you know, 15 minutes later, I was in the car going down to the city for a concert. And that's what did it. It was the bizarre, right? It wasn't I was, but it was twisting. And patience pays off. So going back to, you know, if it's the first two minutes of getting warmed up or the first 10 minutes of getting warmed up, or if it's the first two weeks of an exercise regimen, you know, patience is really important. Be kind and be patient to yourself and realize that, you know, you haven't gotten to the good stuff yet. It's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And that kind of ties into, you know, a little bit about epigenetics in that, you know, the example I use is, you know, if you start out trying to do push-ups and you, know, you haven't been exercising regularly, you know, maybe the first day you could do five, five good push-ups. But if you keep at it, you know, for four to six weeks, you probably have to, I don't know, doing 50 push-ups. But if you stop doing push-ups for a day, you don't all of a sudden go back to five, right? And, and that's epigenetic. You know, genes go on and off every day. Epigenetics is really a, a reflection of our habits at the genetic level. And so what I'd like to come back to now is I get that rich and I get that, you know, exercising, I'm going to turn on a bunch of genes and turn off a bunch of genes and I'm going to, you know, manage my, my DNA a little bit better. But how's that impacting my aging? How does that work? And this is where we get really into the realm more of hypothesis. Like this is how we think it's working. We haven't proven that yet. It starts really with the idea that, you know, within your cell, you have a nucleus and that's where your DNA is stored. And then the rest of the cell is called cytoplasm. And then within that cytoplasm, you have things called mitochondria. And these are the cell's power plant. This is where you are oxidizing. You're taking largely glucose, sugar molecules, and you're burning them. You're oxidizing. You're using oxygen to break carbon bonds. And you take that energy and you make it into the cell's energy currency of, of ATP and you gradually break that down into carbon dioxide. Along the way, you can generate oxygen radicals and we have mechanisms to, to quench those oxygen radicals. Oxygen radicals are highly reactive and they can, they can interact with other proteins, they can interact with DNA, they can cause you know, mutations in DNA. And so if we step back for a second and ask, well, wait a second, Rich, if exercise is causing me to produce these oxygen radicals, why is it that exercise is correlated with a long life, not only on a physiological basis, but also now you're telling me on a DNA basis? And we think, and this 
some evidence to suggest this, that when you're exercising and you're cranking up the power plant, you're turning on the reactions within these mitochondria, we believe that there's evidence to suggest that there's an intracellular signal sent to the nucleus to say, hey, I'm running the power plant over here. You guys best be coiling up your chromatin, coil up that DNA so it doesn't get damaged by these oxygen radicals that I'm creating. I think the analogy back to your car example, Jeff, would be a good one. It's like running, you know, turning your car on in the garage and leaving the windows open. Well, you wouldn't do that, right? You know, you would back the car out before you would you know, roll your windows down. And so we think, and there's increasing uh, amounts of evidence to suggest that this is how epigenetically exercise is benefiting us at the DNA level, right? Not at the, the level of your cardiovascular system, not at the level of your mental stress or, or osteoporosis, those things that we mentioned earlier, but all the way down at the DNA level, and that is directly leading towards longevity. Longer, healthier lives. I don't know. I don't think there are too many people that would, I suspect there are some, but there probably aren't too many people who would argue with that. Expanding, extending our health span. We're here for a finite amount of time having this human experience and we're, you know, what a privilege it is to be able to do it. And, you know, I've shared this before. My dad died last May at 92 years old. And I think, you know, I did talk to him and, you know, to him, it didn't seem like a very long time, those 92 years. So even under the very best of circumstances, you know, long life, it's a short run. And he was very active. He was a tennis player and, you know, a jeweler and lived a very active life until his kind of mid 80s. Right. And then a number of things started to unravel a little bit. I use that example because I've always felt like longer isn't necessarily better, but healthy is. If we can engage in this human experience in a physical way, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, we're going to bring a better version of ourselves to the party every day, to the party of life. So I think health span, and you, you know, use the term, it's not ours, but I think it's a good one, right? Like mm, being healthy, we think of it in terms of how we feel and then being able to talk to you, Richard, and, and get down to the cellular, get down to the nucleus of the cell and, oh, it's, it's happening at an at a cellular level, an epigenetic level. And you know what I really like that you said is that, you know, the epigenetics are really a result of our habits, not of what we did just today or what we did five minutes ago. But what are we doing on a regular basis? And yeah, what are we doing that's good for us on a regular basis? We can do some things that aren't that great for us. And I'd like, I, I love to say that, you know, I try not to let perfection get in the way of good enough. Right. Because I think you mentioned in the last episode that, you know, the stress of trying to get it right all the time can be as harmful as not doing it. Let's go back to your your health span, lifespan, quality over quantity. Yeah, I'd like to live a quality life versus just a long life. I want to have, you know, life in my years, not years in my life. And that means something different to everybody, you know, to each of us, right? It does. And, you know, my son, Bryce Hamilton, might say, Dad, we're not here for a long time. We're here for a good time. And what that good time consists of 
is different for all people. And I think many people find, you know, living a, well, eating a clean diet to be a challenge. Right, they like, well, I want to eat donuts and steak and <laughs> you know, drink and, and drink martinis and, and whatnot. I think if you're tuned into it, and I know you are, when you're living clean and eating clean, you know, fruits and vegetables taste great. They do, and feeling good feels really good. Yeah, as we all, you know, occasionally will indulge in something, you know, perhaps less healthy. Yeah, it might feel good. You might have a good mouthfeel, <laughs> right, in terms of food. But it, it doesn't feel great afterwards. It really doesn't. And I'm not saying you need to be a purist or anything like that. Um, but when you really try and step back and take a very analytical view of it and ask, was that really worth it? Is that all it's cracked up to be? Because I think we get bombarded by, I'll call it, you know, peer pressure and images in the media of, oh, well, you should really, you know, you should be behaving and really liking these things. And when you participate in some of those <laughs> things, you're like, well, that's not really all it's cracked up to be, is it? Right. Well, I had an experience last week that was very much along these lines. I went to a friend's house for dinner, a friend that we both know, and his wife's a great cook. And, you know, she whipped up a meal for 14 of us. Their family was there and my family was there and, you know, super tasty, really good. But, you know, a bit of pasta, a bit of bread, some other things in there that I don't normally eat. And it, you know, like you said, the mouthfeel was wonderful. The company was great. And, you know, so I ate. Sure enough, you know, when we left and I came home, I didn't, didn't feel that great. We certainly become habituated, right? So when, I, when you eat clean you know when you don't. The same thing holds true in the other direction. If, if one is not eating clean and that's what we become habituated to, it's no damn wonder that, you know, a, an apple doesn't taste that good because we're just, we're habituated to whatever, sugars and all the other things that we, you know, people tend to put in their bodies on a regular basis. So, you know, how we habituate ourselves matters. That's interesting, Jeffrey. You know, we've said that about eating, right, about nutrition. We have talked about that as it relates to exercise, that you know, it, it feels better to be in shape and exercising than to be out of shape and really doing anything. Let me ask you about mindfulness and how it feels to be in a regular mindfulness, meditation, yoga, whatever it would be, practice versus not being in one. Yeah. How does that feel to you? It correlates beautifully. I meditate. I don't meditate all the time. Well, obviously not all the time, but you know, I, I have a pretty regular practice. I also practice yoga fairly regularly. Over the course of the past couple of weeks, I got knocked out of my rhythm of yoga. And those two things go together very nicely. They don't have to, but they do. A mindfulness practice, you know, anybody who's ever been to a yoga practice, when you when the practice is over and you and you lay down into shavasana or corpse pose, there's your mindfulness. There's the settling of the mind. The body has been well worked. The organs have been moved. The energy's been flowing. You get a few minutes to just be quiet with yourself. And sometimes you leave yourself completely. And I noticed it. I went to a great practice last night. It was a combination of a, a Anasara yoga practice with a with a musician. 
Lorraine Horstmanshoff, who is just this spectacular musician. She plays all kinds of instruments and didgeridoos and drums and guitars and gongs and flutes. And then you settle into Shavasana and oh my word, can you go deep? It was spectacular. And it was a reminder to me, and I'd been feeling a little bit off for a couple of days. And hmm, as you know, I have a big trip coming my way. So I've been organizing and spending a lot of time as the trip leader on a pretty significant expedition down the Grand Canyon for 21 days. And yeah, so that's been on my mind. There's been a lot of work to do on that. And so uh, some things go by the wayside. It happens to everybody. It was a really good reminder to get back in that when I was back in there and, oh my gosh, it feels so much better. So to answer your question, it's exactly the same. When you sit down to meditate and you haven't done it in a while, it takes a little while to cool down and wind down, unwind to a point where you're, where you're actually present and you know, you're not churning over what needs to be done next or what needs to be done tomorrow or what have you. All these things, I think, fall into the category of practice. So movement, nutrition, mindfulness, yoga, anything, work, it's a practice. These are practices and so doesn't have to be perfect. It ought to be regular. And the more we practice, the better we get. And if we practice good eating habits, we get better at it. We enjoy it more. Your example of going to the grocery store in our last episode and, and finding something in the produce aisle that you know, you've never cooked before and bringing it home. I brought that up with Shannon Doliak in our episode yesterday. And she loves that. And you know what she did is she sends her kids to the grocery store who are, she takes them to the grocery store. They're like eight and 12 or thereabouts. And she lets them pick something out because there's a curiosity there, right? We all can learn something from the kids that we see around, like their curiosity is just spectacular. The more curious we are, if we can be curious like a kid, we can be curious about exercise. We can be curious about nutrition. We can be curious about mindfulness. We can be curious about the toxic load that we're carrying and how do we clear that? So I hope that answers your question. But um, when you don't meditate, when you're not in your mindfulness practice on a regular basis, you start to know that notice that things don't feel as good. And then when you get back into it, ah, it sets the tone for the day and, and the day rolls along much more, what's the word I'm looking for? We can roll with the day. We live in turbulent times and we're recording this on March 10th, 2020. We'll probably release this episode in May or June. Who knows where we'll be with COVID-19 version of the coronavirus. But today we're living in a pretty turbulent time. And if we can quiet our minds and really inhabit self, we can navigate these rough waters a whole lot better. Well, I think one of the things uh, in listening to that, Jeffrey, that strikes me how we have structured our conversations here you know, we've decided to put things into a nutrition bucket, into a fitness bucket, into a mindfulness bucket. And really, it's all integrated together. All of these things combine and are synergistic in a lot of ways. And so maybe I'm conscious of our time here today, but maybe a future conversation, we should talk about integration of mind, body, and spirit. What modern science is demonstrating that that can do for us, you know, epigenetically and otherwise. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. I find it fascinating that, oh, the mind and the body are actually much more connected than most people would believe or accept or what have you. And I never imagined that they were separate. So to your point, I think a conversation about the interconnectedness is a really good one. And our next ones are, uh, we have two more episodes to do. And I think we decided that we would go with mindfulness, meditation, quieting your mind as one, and then wrap sleep and circadian rhythms into that one, and then have our fourth in the sequence to be toxins, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, let me just pose this as a question, because I think we probably all know someone like this, you know, a very type A personality, very driven, probably very successful in business, has decided to take up running triathlons, you know, as an avid triathlete, but is not taking care of themselves from a diet perspective, from a, right, a nutritarian perspective, or from a mindfulness perspective, right? They're dressed out about work and they find some stress release, you know, with that triathlon. Are they really even getting the benefits of that exercise? Or are they getting nearly as much of the benefit of that, of that kind of exercise uh, as they could? And then the last thing I'll add in, typically as it relates to triathlon and kind of extreme endurance, is that really even healthy for us? Right. Uh, the, and I think we could raise some, some valid questions about that. So another conversation for another time. I'm glad that we have more conversations for other times. I'm glad to have the ATBS, the podcast platform. I appreciate you being an integral part of getting this off the ground and, and really setting some, you know, setting a foundation epigenetically because I think it's fascinating. I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic that listeners will glean some information. And just as a reminder to my listeners, the genesis of ATBS, the podcast was, you know, me hearing from enough people over the past handful of years that, you know, that I was trying different things and exploring different things. And maybe it would be worth trying to share those in some ways. And for a while, I just thought, you know, no one, I can't imagine anybody would really want to hear that. And over time, it started to evolve. And so here we are, all things big and small. It's a big, it's a big title. <laughs> And we're trying to turn some lights on in some rooms that people might not be that familiar with. And if you are familiar with the rooms, then maybe just shed a little more light on a particular subject. And there are certainly people out there that I've talked to about some of our subjects who've never even heard of epigenetics. So we're putting a label on that door and then we're cracking the door open and turning some lights on. That's really what my intention is and to build community and to share information in an open fashion where people can come pick up some tidbits, some nuggets, some pearls of wisdom. And then, you know, we're all responsible. We're each responsible for piloting our own ship and, you know, take the information and explore. One of the places you can explore is liveprosperstrong.com. You know, check out what they're doing. And thankfully, we live in a world where we we can go exploring, sometimes just sitting at our computer and learning and asking questions and, and having great conversations. And this fits the bill on all of them, Richard. So thank you for joining another episode of ATBS, the podcast. And I appreciate it, Richard. And I look forward to our next conversation. Always a pleasure chatting, Jeffrey. Looking forward to it. Have a great day and a great day to everyone out there. Thanks. Ain't a bucket. Ain't a bucket.
Thank you for listening. And thank you to my good friend, Richard, for continuing the dialogue and the episodes on epigenetics today, specifically movement and exercise. I know I always glean wonderful information from Richard. I hope you do as well. And if you like what you hear on ATBS, the podcast, support us any way you can. You can subscribe. You can spread the word. We're on social media outlets across the board. ATBSthepodcast.com is where you can find our website. I thank you for listening. We'll continue to build community. We'll continue to have meaningful conversations, try and present information in a non-judgmental, non-dogmatic format. And I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. We'll see you next time.